0: Welcome to For What It's Worth. We hope you enjoy your stay for this episode of Unsettling Scarce.
1: Is that a voice I hear? Oh, it is. I have not seen another living thing in well, a long time. No, no, you're you're not going mad. You are already there. You really shouldn't operate things beyond your realm, but since you are stuck here with me, you might as well get comfortable, as I regale you with some stories to pass the eons you will be trapped here in this place. They have all been donated by lost ones such as yourself for me. They are all here in my book. But be warned, these stories may warp your sense of self. Have subjects that may disturb some. If you are squirmed by these themes, it may be best to wait this out. Don't look away or stare off into the maw of the void in the deep cosmos. We will begin right away with our first story by our first lost soul that passed by here, Nuka.
0: Carlos winced as he woke up. His back ached something fierce, almost certainly from shoveling snow off the driveway the night before. Carlos had normally paid the next door neighbor kids a few bucks to do it when he was tired from a long day at work. But last night, for whatever reason, he was still feeling pretty spry and he decided to do it himself. His wife, Lana, thought it was amusing, smirking to him when he came in from the cold brow drenched in sweat. She'd accused him of wanting to be her Superman, and hey, she wasn't entirely wrong. They'd only been married for a year, and their love still had that young, rose-colored glasses feel to it, The, the sort of love that made manual labor well worth it for the appreciative hug he got in return. Despite his aching back, Carlos crawled out of bed, noticing that his wife wasn't there. He could hear movement in the hallway. She must already be up. It was Saturday, after all, and she was the sort of person who didn't like to waste the weekend lounging around in bed. Perhaps it was the first thing they had ever disagreed about uh, in their relationship. Carlos yawned, Ooh. starting to head to the bathroom when something caught his eye. As he walked past the dresser, his reflection was what caught his eye. Something was very, very wrong. The man looking back at him was not Carlos. The face he saw in the reflection was a man, easily 40 years Carlos' senior. It was a face which had been weathered by time, fissured with deep wrinkles and speckled with blemishes and unfamiliar marks. His hair, the long flowing black mane that his wife had teased him about, the source of much of Carlos's pride, had been replaced by a thin, wiry crown of gray. The face in the mirror looked back at Carlos with an expression of shock and terror that mashed his own, only it couldn't possibly have been him. It wasn't until Carlos staggered back, falling back and sitting on the bed behind him, that he dared to look down at his hands, he saw that they too were foreign to him, spotted and frail. These were not a young man's hands, but rather the hands of a man whose decades of hard labor were well behind him. With a start, Carlos cried out, his heart racing in his chest. He was suddenly aware that his back wasn't the only thing which ached. His hips, his chest, his shoulders, they all throbbed dully as fatigue suddenly washed over him. What was happening to him? A knock at his bedroom door. His wife! Carlos called out to her as he raced toward the door, pulling it open. Lana, Lana, something's happened to me. What's going on, he started, before seeing that the person on the other side of his door was not his wife. Instead, a man in his early thirties stood before him with a concerned look on his face. He wore an all-white uniform with matte black shoes. Mr. Padilla, are you okay this morning? The tone was only faintly modeled with concern, not at all appropriate for the fear coursing through Carlos like ice water. Who the hell are you? "'Where's my wife?' Carlos demanded, before a stark realization struck him. The familiarity of his room ended at the doorway. Instead of the hallway which led to the washroom, his study, and the staircase downstairs, he could see a long, sterile corridor filled with doors. The old, tan carpet of his home had been replaced by a dingy, off-white tile, still glistening from the mop that had passed over it just a few moments before. Carlos could see another man with a bucket down the hallway, and became faintly aware of the scent of artificial lemon in the cleaner. The man held out his hands in a calming gesture. "Please, Mister Dia, it's it's me, Robert. Remember, Robert? We we chat sometimes in the dinner hall. I fixed the TV in your room last week." Carlos shook his head in frustration. N- "No, no, get out of my house. Where's my house, Lana? What's going on here, Lana?" He shouted. The man in white pulled the radio from his belt and clicked it. "Doctor Osland, we need you on the second floor." Carlos had spent the next minute arguing fruitlessly with the man, insisting he both get out of the way and demanding to know where Carlos was. The sound of footsteps clambering down the hallway caught Carlos's attention, and he looked over to see a woman dressed in a white doctor's coat, holding a folder approaching him with two much larger people, a man and a woman, behind her. Carlos, you doing okay this morning? She started in a voice that was clearly calculated to be as calming as possible. He shook his head. Who the hell are you people, and what the hell is going on? Carlos, she said, her voice remaining steady and matter-of-fact. It's perfectly normal to feel confusion. You've got amnesia, Carlos. Carlos barely paused before snapping back. What? Bullshit, my memory works just fine. I remember my name, my wife, my house. The doctor nodded politely. Yes, you remember everything up until the night of the stroke, Carlos, she said, in a note that made it seem as though she'd been through this before. You remember coming home from work, shovelling the driveway, having dinner with your wife, and going to bed with a headache. Carlos stopped dead in his tracks, a sinking feeling in his gut. He quickly replayed the previous night in his head. The doctor had described exactly what had happened the night before in almost the exact words he would have used to describe it himself. He clutched the door frame with his suddenly clammy hands, struggling to find words, but how-how did you know she continued Carlos. You have what's called anterograde amnesia your memories of everything before the stroke are intact but your ability to form new memories is gone everything since then none of it's been saved his voice wavering carlos asked a question he knew he didn't want the answer to but if i can't form new how long has it been the doctor's face was tinged with a sad sympathetic expression it's been almost 40 years carlos 40 years carlos's knees went weak as he slumped to the floor Robert reached forward to help them, but the doctor waved him back, giving him a moment to process. Forty years. He'd gone to bed a young man and awoken like this. A lifetime gone in an instant. He strained, racking his mind, trying in vain to find some evidence of the life he'd lived. He and Lana had planned to travel together, to have children, to buy a home together, but Carlos could remember none of that. All he could remember was falling asleep next to Lana, the sound of her breathing, and trying his best to sleep despite the headache. So it's it's not 1982, it's the year 2022, she said calmly. But, but this isn't my home. Why does my room look like... We find that patients adjust better to familiar surroundings. We try our best to customize their rooms to look as similar to the ones they remember as possible. Carlos turned back to the room, scrutinizing it. It was only then that he started to notice the small differences. The TV, while in its usual place, was a slightly different shape and size, and clearly a different brand. While his bed had a comforter on it, the color was slightly different. The room itself was smaller than the room he had remembered going to bed in, the furniture somewhat closer together than he remembered. His thoughts swirled around him, before one leaped to the front of his mind. Lana? The doctor's eyes glanced down for a moment. She, she's she gone, Carlos. She left about a year after the stroke. He wanted to ask why, but Carlos already knew the reason. If what the doctor was saying was true, could he really blame her? If he couldn't make new memories, if each day started this way, with confusion, disorientation, forgetting everything from the previous day. So, so what? I just I just spent the last 40 years of my life in this place? just, Just doing what? The doctor took a deep breath. It's a home for people with conditions similar to yours, Carlos. Some days are better than others. This isn't the first time we've had this conversation, and it probably won't be the last. Why don't you come with us and get some breakfast? You'll you'll feel better. You always do. Carlos wanted to protest. He wanted to ask her how he could possibly feel better with what was happening to him, but he thought if he really had been here for decades, well, who knew? Maybe this was just part of his daily routine. Using the doorframe for help, Carlos lifted himself to his feet, nodding slowly. His mind swam with emotions and thoughts as he was led down the hallway to the stairs at the end. Walking downstairs, he was taken to a large, open area with tables. It was a cafeteria, he could see. Several others were sitting at tables, eating off lunch trays. Carlos was led to a bench-like seat and sat down with a tray put in front of him. Scrambled eggs and bacon were on his plates, along with a small cup of pills and a glass of orange juice. Take the pills first. They'll help you calm down, the doctor said reassuringly. Carlos started with a scoop of eggs, relieved to see at least his taste hadn't changed. He still disliked the rubbery texture of scrambled eggs. He followed it up with a swig of orange juice before nodding and reaching for the pills. As he opened his mouth to take the pills, he noticed that everyone was looking at him. Not just the doctor or Robert or the two orderlies. Glancing around the room, he saw that the noise in the room had diminished, and everyone was now looking at him from their tables. As he glanced over at them, They quickly turned back to their breakfast, suddenly becoming acutely interested in their eggs and bacon. What if, what if I don't want to take my pills, doctor? I think, I think I'd prefer not to, Carlos said, suddenly feeling ill at ease. The doctor smiled at him. Come on, Carlos. Don't be silly. Just take the pills. They help you calm down. You'll relax a bit. We'll have breakfast. And then we can talk in my office about how you're feeling. Carlos continued to hold the small cup of pills but didn't bring them any closer to his mouth. But I don't have to, right? Like if I'm not being held against my will, I'm still an American citizen. I, I can choose not to take these. I, I can leave whenever I want. You, you've got no right to hold me here. He did his best to keep his tone steady, to avoid betraying the concern rising through him. The doctor smiled, an almost patronizing smile. Yes, Carlos, you can leave, but where would you go? In 10 minutes, you'll have forgotten all about this conversation please, Carlos, just just take the pills. Carlos's mouth went dry at her words, at the expression on her face. Despite her calm, friendly appearance, he could feel the threat behind it. Uh, I think I'm going to take a walk, actually. Carlos set the pills down and put his hands on the table to lift himself up. He had barely risen from his seat before he felt a pair of hands on his shoulders. Please, just eat your breakfast, Mr. Padilla, said Robert. Carlos hesitated for a moment, seeming to consider the request, before lunging forward onto the table. He sent the tray and the pills scattering as he tried to clamber across the top of the table. He heard gasps and shouts of surprise from the others in the room around him, before it erupted into chaos. "'Get him!' he heard the doctor's voice, its tone suddenly very different. "'He's too dangerous to be allowed to escape!' "'Dangerous?' Carlos scrambled off the end of the table, where he met a security guard clad in black." He kicked the guard in the stomach, although he lacked the strength that his younger self once had. The guard barely flinched from the strike before pushing Carlos back onto the table. Guards and orderlies surrounded him as he flailed. Kicking back and resisting his other patients, guards and people clad in white crowded around him. The room was a chorus of voices shouting, ''Get those pills in him now! Hurry, he knows too much already! We don't have much time! They're coming!'' Carlos forced his mouth shut as he felt a hand trying to pry his lips apart. Above him, he saw the doctor, now wearing a furious expression. Through the cacophony around him, he could hear her voice clearly. "'Stop fucking around, Carlos. We don't have time for this. Take the pills now, or everyone here is going to die!' Screams rang out in the room, howls of pain and cries of anger and fear from hundreds of people, far more than could possibly fit into the room. Carlos's head swam with confusion as he squeezed his eyes shut, clamping down his mouth as best he could, still struggling, as untold numbers of hands pinned him to the table." A weight bore down on his chest, making it hard to breathe. He suddenly felt the jab of a needle first in the upper part of his right arm, followed by a similar jab a moment later in his thigh. Warmth suddenly burned through him and Carlos found it increasingly difficult to move his limbs. Then suddenly they felt heavy and unresponsive. Carlos also realized he could no longer breathe. The weight on his chest was too much. He instinctively opened his mouth to gasp for air, finding only a moment's reprieve before pills were forced past his lips. "'the cool plastic capsule sticking to the back of his dry throat. "'He tried to scream in protest, but his mouth was forced shut, "'giving him no chance to spit the pills out. "'He struggled for what seemed like minutes, "'even as the sounds around him began to grow fainter, "'becoming like a distant echo in a cave. "'He opened his eyes, seeing nothing. "'He realized he could no longer feel any of his limbs "'or even the pressure on his chest. "'Carlos awoke with a start, "'the bright morning sunlight painfully bright on his eyes "'through a crack in the curtains.' He twisted quickly, looking to the bed beside him. Lana? The bed was empty. He did, however, hear movement in the hallway outside the door. Then Carlos remembered the mirror on the dresser. He knew he could stand up and look at it to see if any of it had been real. As he went to rise, he felt a twinge of pain in his back. For a moment, Carlos froze. He knew that he could look down at his hands and he'd have his answer. Or look in the mirror across the room or call to his wife. Instead... He closed his eyes and laid back in his bed. He focused on the sound of the birds chirping outside his window. They distracted Carlos from the sinking feeling in his stomach, from the fact that sooner or later, he would get an answer to his question, whether he wanted to or not.
1: It's so easy to lose yourself. Is this really the void? Are you here? Is any of this that you experience real? What is Real is our next little story by the second one to pass by here. Barnaby.
2: How long had he been stuck down here? Brian wasn't sure anymore. He had tried counting the hours, but that becomes increasingly useless when you have no clock to measure your own count against. The near constant gloom never got any lighter or darker, indicating... That wherever he had been stowed, did not have direct access to external light, or possibly even windows showing the outside world, showing the sky and the sun. God, he missed the sun. Brian could almost imagine it shining on him right now, or maybe that feeling was just the hot, dry air down here in this space. It never got cooler, once again lending evidence to the cat that this place was removed from the outer world. Removed from the world. Brian croaked to himself and nearly jumped from the sound of his own voice. It seemed to boom in the three-foot-tall space he was stuck in. It felt hard to speak, probably due to the dry air trapped between the wooden floor and the ceiling. Brian wished he had some water, but shook his head to try and chase away that tantalizing thought. It did no good to wish for water or light or an explanation as to why he was in this place. He felt close to tears as the futility of trying to find reason for him being in this situation drove him one step closer to madness. In an effort to stop his thoughts from spiraling into an abyss of despair, Brian rolled over onto his stomach and began to crawl forward, using his forearms to pull him along, and his splayed legs tried to help push him. But when all you have is three feet to maneuver vertically, your options for motion are extremely limited. Left arm forward, placed down on the floor, and a shuffle noise as he pulled himself by inches. Next, the right arm, and another shuffle, and a few more inches towards the dark gloom of the expanse that spread out in all directions. The wooded floor and ceiling shared the same temperature and texture, neither distinguishing themselves from the other not giving the cat any difference to grasp onto. It was maddening in its own right, having two seemingly endless planes of identical woods sandwiching you between them. Nothing ever changing as you crawled in any direction. Brian could have been crawling in circles for days for all he knew. Why, in the moments of confusion and panic after he would awaken from whatever inconsistent sleep he was getting, especially when he was curled in a fetal position on his side, The cat wasn't always sure he knew which way was up or down. Eventually, the pain in one of his arms could tell him he had put more weight on it while passed out, so that logically had to be down, right? What was logic in this place? It didn't exist. Perhaps Brian didn't exist anymore either. The cat licked his dry lips and spoke again, and his voice still gravely as dry air passed through his vocal cords. I am removed from the world, another arm forward, and by inches, Brian moved again, and again, and again. The cat had zoned out as he moved in what he knew was a worthless army crawl to nowhere. So he wasn't sure when he finally consciously realized something was different. It was like the slap in his synapses. And he paused his crawl as his eyes slipped in and out of focus as they tried to understand what they were seeing. Light? Dear God, light. It was a couple of weak rays shining down from the upper wooden plane a couple dozen feet away. Brian's heart leapt with joy as he suddenly had a surge of energy he used to crawl forward with a speed he didn't know he could muster. He was smiling like a lunatic as he came to the spot where the light was shining down, and he could see it was square in shape, and about four feet in all directions. A door, a trap door, leading out of this gloomy hellhole. Oh, Brian was so happy that he began to cry. He didn't think he had any moisture left in him, but the promise of freedom made the cat's body disregard the need to reserve this water. Turning over onto his back, he lay down on the floor and looked up at the faint beams of light sneaking in through the cracks. Brian pushed up on the door and felt it move a fraction of an inch, but no more. It must have been locked, no matter. He would use his last bit of strength to bust whatever lock was keeping the trapdoor in place. The cat slammed his fist against it in frantic motions, his muscles aching with the strain of trying to get enough movement in the small space to give him the force needed to win his freedom. After a while, he had to stop and catch his breath. He was sweaty and panting, and the tears of joy had turned to tears of frustration. Why would he be given a glimpse of freedom if he was still to be imprisoned in this endless tomb? until he finally died of dehydration or starvation. In between his sobs, Brian thought he heard something on the other side of the trap door. It was faint, but yes, it was the sound of footsteps. Coming closer, Brian resumed his slamming. Help! Help me! I'm stuck down here! Please let me out! The cat nearly roared the last part as he kept beating the square section of wood. The footsteps stopped just right above him to one side of the door keep knocking a deep voice came Brian's mind reeled as he heard this and he wondered what sick game the stranger was playing keep knocking so she hears you the voice said again Brian began crying and yelling unintelligibly as he pounded his fist against the wood he was barely aware that his fur was soaked with his own blood from hitting the door so much if the devil wanted him to make a ruckus so that some of the other person might hear him By God, he was going to do just that. Maybe it was futile, like everything else down here. But the cat wouldn't succumb to his despair just yet. He would go out raging against the psychopath, let him know that he had never broke his spirit. The deep voice cut through the cat's own screams, and it silenced Brian in an instant. Thank you. She's heard you knocking. She will be along soon. The stranger above him moved a few steps around and then all the light went out as something was pulled over the trap door. As weak streams of light were stolen away, Brian was blind to the darkness all around him. He knew his eyes would adjust back to the gloom and that thought brought him close to tears. He surely would have begun crying again if it weren't for another sound off to his right that stilled the blood in his heart. There was a slow thudding sound followed by a body being drugged along the wooden floor and then a light, almost grandmotherly <laughs> laugh cut through the darkness followed gently by just a moment, Kitty. I'll be right there.
1: This void suddenly feels rather small, doesn't it? Very Constricting. Let us open up with the next story, shall we?
0: With a dry click of the car door handle, on the dusk of this gloomy autumn night, the inspector stepped out of his patrol car. The rotating beacon atop the dark gray colored vehicle, that if he glanced past, wouldn't notice among the stone of the surrounding structures of the town, standing tall, a corgi wearing a sleek uniform, took their first step onto the cobbled road, a wash of warm breath fogging the air in front of them to match the fog that was rolling in as the sun set. The night the cool and calm that you would enjoy a warm beverage to cusp in your paws to keep them warm and huddle over the steam, or wrap an extra thick scarf to bundle up should you need to go out. However, this night the calmness was disturbed as the corgi walked up to another officer, kneeling, brown furred arms resting on their knees, and a body covered by a black tarp to cover up so what disturbing scene that may lie underneath from the errant gaze of those that strolled by. The officer next to the macabre scene under the sheets, took a breath, gazing upwards to the approaching person paw already rising into the air to tell yet another person to leave the area. His eyes widened in embarrassment, seeing the inspector coming up to the crime scene, grunting, pushing his knees to stand upright to greet the inspector with a paw outstretched. Good evening, Sammy. Didn't think you'd be working so late, paws clasped together in a firm shake, exchanging the casual greeting. Well, the poor boys down at the bar needed a break from me from time to time, Sammy quipped. So what have you got tonight, Click? If you're breaking out the sheet before I got here, then it must be something. Click unfazed, didn't respond, just reached out, taking a corner of the dark fabric and pulling back with relative ease until it hit a spot stained crimson on the underside hugging the body and exposing the upper left portion of the scene, causing the corgi to yank a handkerchief and clasp it to his muzzle. The cool fog crept around the area surrounding the trio, staying away from the center, the focal points of a partially exposed light blue feline, the gentle wind whistling through the fur, jostling the sagging whiskers, the pool of red highlighting the blue as the last of the light faded from day, and the flicker of street lamps, the only aid the officers received. "'Good lord,' Sammy muttered under the handkerchief. Click just looked up towards Sammy. "'Yeah, poor Sod. Appears to have a large stab wound on the back and some sort of blunt trauma, I'd guess from the eyes and mouth the way they are. Inspector, some sort of gang thing, perhaps? The playful evening got out of hand?' Sammy took a moment to gather themselves, prepping for something that they were not quite prepared for this evening." but they bent over the body, glancing over anything of notes, but finding nothing of consequence. He reached into their charcoal suit fishing around the jacket, looking for anything in the inside pockets, paused jostling around, finding the purchase of something the corgi pulled out, finding themselves holding an unremarkable notepad with a small pencil resting inside the rings that held the papers together, unfurling the brown covering top to see anything in the pad that could help give a sign of what happened. Raising a brow and frowning a jowl, the corgi gave an unpleasant expression at what he saw. October 31st, 1926. Scrawled below was the repeating phrase, "Flingluli mepog fu What the hell is this nonsense? Someone isn't quite right in the head, I think. Does any of it make sense to you? Just then, the coyote officer piped up. Sir, found this in their pocket. Guess their name is Nuka. Strange, all their money is still in their wallet. Must not be a robbery or something went wrong during the attempt and the perp fled. Click muttered the last part more to the inspector than to themselves while holding the license and wallet in one paw, reading the rest to himself. A shimmer of light flickered from the nearby street post, catching the corgi's eye at the source of the illumination. Turning their head and bending over the body, the corgi reached down, noticing a silver and green-looking object held firmly in the feline's clenched paw. Curious, the inspector thought, opening the paw, the object slid out onto the corgi's own for a better look. Squinting, turning the object around, the corgi looked closer at it, appearing to be a sort of talisman. An ugly thing, by all accounts. The shapes and structures all seem off, yet wrapped around into the center, surrounded by eyes. Maybe there was something else for this peculiar object. Pulling out the notepad once again, flipping through pages, both empty and scrawled, with blackened scribbles and lists, lists upon lists of things, the corgi's red ears perked up suddenly. A name, an address, and the payment of something, presumably for this talisman. Ruchi, 1531, Riverwood Avenue. Best visit this Ruchi character and see what they know, Sammy thought to himself. Cleaning up, Click Join Sammy to head to the address they found on the notepad taking a few cranks in the night air and echoing down the street until a whirr the police cars started up looking down the road the corgi and the lead started down passing through the deepening fog headlights attempting to pierce through the veil with little success only slowing to the two cars traversing the town in the darkness of the night mist seeping into the car through the air vents slowly building on the dash and under the seat wisping in the flowing air currents like little flames dancing Headlights flickering through the fog seemed to get worse the further in they drove. The corgi had to bend forward and stare, as if it would help steer better, driving only by the occasional blip of the line of the road, or curve making them have to jerk the wheel back onto the road. A bump startled the corgi. Hitting the curb at the rim of the tire, he made a quick decision to pull over and figure out a way to wait it out, or call a night and resume the investigation the next day. A pop of the door, as well as the car turning off at the same time, the Corgi slipped out of the fabric seat, the seatbelt clanging in the door frame. There stood the Corgi trying to bundle up his jacket, wishing he had brought something a little warmer this night, cursing to himself at leaving at home. A second curse left his muzzle as a sudden blinding light burned through the fog into his face, resorting in him holding a paw up to shield it from the illuminated assault. A quick apology came from behind the lights, lowering it as a figure appeared. Oh, sorry about Sammy fogs really something this twilight the light came down revealing a click thinking at least he wasn't rear-ended by the following officer in the current driving situation yeah you're right not going to get much done here i surmise sammy replied click simply sighed with a nod before gesturing his paw upwards to draw the attention of the inspectors towards the building's address they were currently standing before carved into the stone beside the door red 1531 riverwood avenue Looks like we've gotten rather lucky then, Click said matter-of-factly. A creak reverberated on the door that hadn't been oiled in many years, in near neglect. The two officers passed inside the building, letting it latch behind them. The old stone apartment building had a winding staircase in front of them. On the right was a box with the room numbers listed, and a slot, some filled, some empty with mail. Reading down the list of numbers, two, three, five, six... Rucci, Lexico. There we are. The dual officers proceeded down the dusty hallway toward the looping stairs to head towards the door of the person they were interested in. This Rucci fellow may know a few things that might help fill in the puzzle just a little more. The stairs creaked with each step upwards, and the ascent mixed with the thud of the officers' boots' soles meeting old peeling wood and musty stone building. Three flights of stairs later, the corgi and coyote reached their destination, staring intently at the door. With the silver numbered six, the corgi stood there, tracing the lines on the wood with his eyes, thinking about the case that was built so far, and how best to confront the person on the other side of the timber barrier. A deep breath later, the corgi raised a paw, and with a bang, 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 knocked on the door and quickly heard a shuffle emanating from the other side. Turning his head towards his partner, the corgi gave the coyote a quick nod. Ready, click, the coyote nodded in return. A click and latch of a metal slide, moving, signaled, the door unlocked, and the handle turned. The door swinging open to reveal a very disheveled-looking red and black fox, facing them with a concerned look at being towered over by two officers, offering only a meek... Can I help you? Sorry to disturb you, sir, but we have some questions we'd like to discuss with you. It's quite important. The corgi was talking to the fox, but his eyes glanced around the apartment, looking for anything out of the ordinary the apartment was in complete disarray papers everywhere cardboard boxes half filled with various objects and some disassembled clothes thrown about haphazardly uh, and lone fan in the corner whirring its last life to cool the room almost blowing the errant paper loose can we please come in clicks said aside his paws on his belts above his gear oh yes of course the fox said as he stood beside holding the door while the two officers walked inside the apartment, both looking around briefly. The coyote was the first to return to the fox, followed by the corgi. I am Inspector Sammy. Are you Ruchi Lexico? The fox nodded. Yes, I am. What's this all about that needs me? The fox seemed on edge, eye starting left and right, but not quite to anything, just a glass expression like he was trying to look through the walls. The corgi got out his own notepad and a small pencil, ready to jot down any relevant information. His counterpart, however, was looking around the apartment, trying to look into the boxes or for anything relevant on any of the papers strewn about the floor. I'm doing an investigation currently, and that's led me here. Do you know of a Nuka fellow? Sammy asked with an inquisitive tone. The fox seemed to know the name his ears perking, betraying any subtlety, but Rue didn't seem to try and lie, though he seemed very unnerved, as the paranoia had doubled tail-jerking and twitching around uncomfortably. Oh, oh yeah, uh, yeah, Dr. Nuka, he, he came here asking all sorts of questions, things he, he shouldn't... Uh, I, I told him, I told him to stop and leave well enough alone. The corgi looked puzzled, writing down little notes that he could manage to try to keep pace as Rue spoke. "'So what was he asking about?' Sammy replied, not a mere moment later. Rue blurted out, "'No, no, no, you you don't know what's going on. "'You'll draw unwanted attention beyond your knowing, "'just like the doctor.' Rue stepped back, clutching his chest, "'nearly having a panic attack, "'his eyes jerking left, right, "'towards the ceiling as if watching something. "'Click hurried over, patting the fox's shoulder "'while looking up at Sammy, "'nudging his muzzle aside, speaking to Sammy. "'We might have found something over in the kitchen, "'a briefcase with some of the writing from before.' I've got them. You best take a look. Sammy nodded, still holding the notepad, stepped out, walking over some papers and crinkling them as his boots crushed them, moving into the kitchen. He looked around, and on the dining table beside the kitchen had an open brown-covered briefcase the lock snapped open, and the lid raised, leaving the contents exposed. Assorted papers with strange symbols and writing, the same odd type the doctor had in his notepad, He pulled out Nuka's notepad, reaching down, shuffling the papers around, looking for anything that stood out. There. Something that was vastly different from the others. Sammy pulled it out, looking at the dots and lines. Oddly, it was a map to some location out of town, yet there didn't seem to be anything there, Lassie recalled. Ah! A loud crash of glass shot through the apartment gripped Sammy. He cursed under his breath, rushing back into the room. And what the hell just happened? Standing, leaning against the wall was Click, the coyote, had his paw pressed to his forehead under his orange hair, crimson running between his fingers, down over his muzzle, dripping out onto the floor. There was glass littering the floor, covering the white papers, crunching under Sammy's boot, as he looked at the source of the glass, a shattered window, sharing the deep red blood that matched the fox's fur. But he was gone. No sign of the fox was left in the dwelling. What the hell happened? Where did Rue go? Sammy yelled out, not intended at Click, but more out of frustration. Click took a deep breath, chest rising and falling, gathering himself. When he went to the kitchen, he started talking nonsense, and then he just lost it. He attacked me with that vase and jumped out the window. The madman. Click stood back up, still holding his head. If nothing else, he was going to have a pounding headache in the morning after this. Best we look for him at the bottom, Click said hesitantly. Given his state, Sammy understood, but work still had to be done. The two left the apartment and headed back down the stairs, pushing open the front door. A rush of cool air enveloped them both, taking a moment to recover. The officers made their way to the rear of the stone building, but it was empty. What the... Sammy said, the end tapering off. Looking up at the window where the fox fell from and back down, there was a single drop of blood on the ground. Where did he go? No one's going to survive getting caught up by the glass and that kind of fall. Click shrugged, unsure what to really say at how the night had gone so far. Sammy looked around the area for a while, finding nothing. No trails, no signs of fur. The inspector returned, just giving a, well, shit. You better get that head looked at. Take the nights. Guess I'll take the rest of this tonight. Click nodded slowly, reaching out, shaking the corgi's paw, before both returned to their respective vehicles. Sammy slid in, shutting the door to his car, sighing at all the madness this evening. Nothing was making any sense, and no one was cooperating. He just wanted an easy night to go home and sit in front of the fireplace. Sitting in his car, contemplating the night, staring at the windshield to the foggy cobblestone road. A crumpling sound echoing in the car. He pulled out a paper and fixed his gaze on it instead. The map. Should he? It was late. Who knows if this was a clue or not. But something he felt curious about that he should see this through, that the payoff would be satisfying at its conclusion. A rumble roared into the night air. The car started up and headlights showed through the road. The corgi grateful the fog seemed to lighten at least a little when he was inside. As he left the apartment behind, letting it disappear into the night, and he drove down the road, turning here and there, shifting onto the highway out of town toward the point the map had marked. A wooded forest with a few valleys, whatever could be located way out here. Seemingly like hours had passed, the corgi jerked not to fall asleep and nearly veered off the roadway a little, yelping out, I'm okay, I'm okay, before resuming the drive, tree by tree, passing through the night's horizon. A dirt road slowly approached on the right. The corgi yawned sleepily, turning the wheel, head up the road, rocking and bumping the car, up the pathway, trees overhanging, blotting out the night's moon. Finally here, the corgi thought to himself, minutes passing by before getting more lost on the lone road that happens to not have seen any traffic for some time until ahead with a squint he could see a light red yellow flicks on the road sammy put the car in park turning off the engine and lights letting the beacon of flame illuminate the woods popping the door he stepped out and carefully closed the door to keep quiet and not cause any undue noise or alerts anyone to his presence going through a slight trail from the road sammy followed it down turning a bend coming around to see something that made him stop right where he was on the dirt path. Ahead was a bonfire blazing into the night, but surrounded was that damnable fog, only it seemed thicker, or moved like dry ice across the glass of the opening. In front of the bonfire was a person dressed in black, wearing a cloaked hood and jacket obscuring his feature, save for a cetacean's tail and fluke, with many other people of varying species all walking around this fire. Yet they all wore dark robes with masks covering their faces, hiding their intent, with painted symbols and matching each other. This, this isn't a good idea, Sammy thought to himself. I best get help before going over there. The corgi paused mid-sentence. The fog. It seemed to shimmer, almost like glass that had been repositioned. Cracks forming around the clearing. The corgi's heart beating quicker. Uh, I better go. A light suddenly blinded the corgi. He held up a paw to quickly block the assault. The silhouette of an officer had him lowering it as he tried to see through the fog, and it was Click? Wait, Click? What was he doing out here? Click, is, is that you? The corgi was suddenly not feeling very safe in his current situation, so he turned to look at the bonfire quickly to see that they were still all there. The corgi's muzzle hung open. The bonfire was out. And all those masked faces were standing still, surrounding it with the porpoise, front of the ground, every single one looking straight at him. Startled, Sammy took a step back on the path, but horrifyingly, at the same second he took a step back, every single person took one single step forward, matching his. The cracks in the fog seemed to expand, and the stars in the sky seemed to have doubled in this spot, stretching even in ways that did not make sense. Everything seemed wrong the kind that made you squirm and want to leave your body behind. Run. Run was the only thought that filled Sammy's head, twisting his body back towards his car to leave. He was stopped by a sharp, still cold, spreading up his chest. Move that leg, his brain screamed, but his limbs refused to respond. Warmth. Warmth was leaving him. The corgi looked there, stood, click, standing a muzzle length in front of him. He looked down and saw the reason his body couldn't respond. A large knife was hilted in his chest, the handle held firmly by the coyote, and he could only respond, Why? Click let the handle go. Sammy fell to the ground with a crashing thud in the dirt of the pathway, creating a stream of red toward the bonfire. Click looked down at the body of the inspector. You should have gone home, as we agreed. You, Nuka, Rue. Shouldn't have meddled. The coyote looked up at the night sky, the shimmering glass cracking bending, shadowing above. The coyote slid a mask over his face and looked over at the porpoise, though on opposite sides shared the same sentence.
1: Maybe rise. Disheveled? Now that's certainly rude. I keep my fur very brushed, thank you very much. Seems like our storyteller has gone a little mad by the end. Uh, uh. Oh, look... The creatures of the void are something, aren't they? So many limbs and tentacles. Seems one of them may have left into your world with the next story.
0: She had tried so hard not to break. She couldn't break, not for them. She was their last chance. Miss Patterson sat in her classroom, well after the school bells had rung and the ratty teens had left. Some left with the excitement that Friday night's Halloween celebration would be filled with tricks and tasty treats. Some left with fear of what waited at home, the chaos that swirled around abuse and addiction. Some left with the intention of avoiding home as much as possible, as home was only a word where the couch or recliner was what they slept on. To them, home never summoned a sense of safety and belonging. Mrs. Patterson worked at an alternative school, Mason Alternative High School, individualized learning, 12 desks in the classroom where each student has the potential to make a better life for themselves. She tried the ordinary schools. They were filled with too many students sure that the world owed them for their existence and too many parents willing to threaten principals and school boards against any teacher who dared defy them with something so petty as honest assessments. The other teachers had enough trouble with neurodivergent students and could hardly handle the eccentric and odd teacher, Mrs. Patterson. At the Mason Alternative High School, all students were welcome. Mrs. Patterson and her tattoos and scars, her hair cut shorts and a fade of bright color to her dark hair fit in well with the other staff. With small classes, she could help the students navigate their high school at their own pace with self-directed projects and learning. If a student couldn't focus on mathematics, for example, they could spend their time reading on a subject they liked. Last week was a good week. Last week, Mrs. Patterson informed Miguel that Miguel could use any restroom they liked, boy, girl, or single occupancy, but only one student was allowed on a hall pass at a time. Last week, Jay hesitantly acknowledged that he liked boys and was pleasantly surprised when none of the other students thought that was weird, since two of the other guys were already dating. He'd been so withdrawn with the hit-and-run death of his brother, he hadn't engaged with the other students much before. Mrs. Patterson was delighted that she now had to remind Jay not to distract other students from their studies. Last week, Carrie joined the classroom, shy to the point of almost being mute. Mrs. Patterson knew that Carrie would be able to find their voice. Mrs. Patterson just needed to watch the small, painfully thin teenager in the ill-fitting jeans and flannel and see what they needed, even if they weren't able to verbalize it yet. Mrs. Patterson just needed to show Carrie how. Every student learns differently and needs a different way to be helped. Friday is Halloween, and any classroom gets antsy as the promise of tricks and treats approach, part of the fall magic. However, this week was not a good week. On Monday, Mrs. Patterson sat with Stephanie after Stephanie threw her desk aside and screamed at her best friend. Among the tears, Stephanie revealed that her father woke her and her young sister in the early morning hours and forced them both to shoot her dog. On Wednesday, Toby was pulled from school. Mrs. Patterson had begged begged his father to give him 10 more days so he could complete the state-required school work and graduate. Toby's father didn't see any reason why. An 18-year-old, as of Tuesday, is useful on a construction crew, and high school diplomas only put notions and dreams in his head. Toby's father could finally find a use for his pathetic son to bring home some money. On Thursday night, the man who had hit Jay's brother had drunkenly come over to his house while Jay's parents were away. Offended that Jay didn't open the door for his rambling apology, the man cursed and vomited in the weedy flower, flower garden and collapsed on the patchy grass. Jay got his father's gun, oh so prominently kept on top of the television as a subtle threat to everyone else in the house and belligerent declaration of rights to everyone outside it. Jay murdered the man who killed his brother with each crack from the barrel. Jay threw his life away and broke his soul. He was in school on Friday under the careful watch of the police until he was in the secured school facility. Jay got to sit in the plexiglass partition desk to separate him from the other students, for safety. Jay sat there with sullen empty eyes, barely following any discussion and giving only one-word answers to questions. It didn't matter to him anymore. Once the grinding wheels of justice progressed far enough, he wouldn't be coming back. Mrs. Patterson steeled herself and put her mask on for her students. Jay was lost, another casualty, but she had other students. She would handle her grief and anger later. Now, she needed to help her students handle theirs. She would listen to them with her confusion and loss of yet another friend. And she'd be there for them, after he was sentenced to prison and stopped coming to the school. It was hard. It was the job. The students had left at the bell, and the police retrieved Jay. Mrs. Patterson tended to the room, britzing the pothos plant, stubbornly growing in its too small pot, and watched as her students departed. Some were picked up, some rode the buses, and some, like Miguel, knew not to wait for the promised ride home from their parents that never occurred, and walked for miles home instead. The other teachers and staff followed. Miss Patterson remained. Then the school was silent. Then the mask had come off. Shelley Patterson grieved. Hard sobs racked her body and the intense grief came through her tiny throat in a pathetic whine. Her desk and chair kept her from collapsing on the floor and writhing in emotional agony. Jay was supposed to make it. He had a fucking future. They had both worked so hard, so very hard, taking and retaking the state exams, finding and applying for any college scholarship or grants available. Jay loved chemistry and understood covalent bonds and elementary particles in an almost natural way. He loved movies with monsters. He found a deep love for the Golden Girls. She was his last chance. She never got the chance to step in when it truly mattered. Mrs. Patterson was just a teacher. Less than a parent, teachers only have power in the classroom within strictly defined limits, despite how those limitations chafe. Six hours a week day can't save them from the other eighteen. The light outside faded quickly. When the sprinklers came on with their spish bish spish, spish An exhausted Shelly Patterson sat back up and blearily looked around. Shelly found that she wasn't alone in that classroom. At their desk, Carrie sat silently watching. They didn't seem to move themselves, but they vibrated in place. The lights in the back of the classroom flickered and left Shelly with the impression that perhaps Carrie wasn't quite so small and thin. Maybe they were just farther away somehow, farther than the back of the classroom would normally allow. Shelley found herself unable to speak. The lights in the back flickered more and then went out. The light from the front of the classroom didn't want to illuminate the back, leaving it in a strange darkness. But Shelley could tell Carrie was coming closer. In the darkness, barely perceptible, Shelley Patterson could see Carrie unfold themselves. Limbs held within for a full day shakily stretched themselves to full length. And bones cracked as they released themselves from mundane prisons. Bolting upright, Shelley started to dash for the door in the middle of the classroom. All the lights went out, and Shelley Patterson was caught. Breathing heavily, shakily, Shelley found herself in pitch darkness. Her eyes were utterly useless, but she could feel. She felt a hug, a strange hug, to be sure. Full of scales, hair, fur, and chitinous exoskeleton segments. Horns and claws kept gently and safely away. She found herself hugging back. In the darkness, she heard Carrie speak, deep and throbbing. It's okay, Mrs. Patterson. It's Halloween. We can all take our masks off today. The massive creature was suddenly gone. The doorway opened and flexed into impossible dimensions to allow it through. The light returned and Shelley slowly took to her feet. Shelley Patterson decided she was going to go home and watch a stupid movie with all the lights off. On Saturday, she will go somewhere, anywhere out of town, maybe to a lake or a trail. On Sunday, she will finally get around to throwing out her ex's old clothes, and on Monday, she'll be back in to help her students. After all, she's their last chance. Each student has the potential to make a better life for themselves.
1: Thanks to our friend Tanax, one creature found a new home. Can fill it by now, can't you? The fabric between our worlds is thinning won't be long now, not long with our next story either. By the second to the last soul to visit here, enjoy what Geo has shared with me.
2: I drove through the woods at night, focused on the lines on the road, the pavement blurring by. Rounding a corner my eyes caught a brief flash of movement, something scampering onto the road. Just enough time to see its form, the fur, the masked face, the eyes reflecting the headlights. Nothing could be done. Didn't help that I'd been going on autopilot, attempting to get from point A to point B, going 5 to 10 miles over the speed limit on curvy roads, trying not to think whether or not I was too buzzed to drive. I only had one or two of those wine cooler things that my friends made fun of me for drinking, but were so much better than the beer that I didn't mind the ridicule. Relishing the expressions on their faces as they risked, Bottles from the Forsaken Beer Sample Pack Box. The word Raccoon snapped into focus. About the same time I heard the dull thump of something making contact with my front bumper, followed by the concerning sensation of my tire hitting a soft, squishy bump. Damn it! Damn it! I continued to drive, though slower. I glanced into the mirrors, nothing but night behind. I gave a few choice swears under my breath. Before giving a long sigh, technically, I'd done what I was supposed to do. One wasn't supposed to swerve for wildlife on the road or something. I had more risk of hitting college students than I did of hitting wildlife on a regular basis, and I had to assume that driving rules around dazed college students was wandering into the road were somewhat different. At least, that hadn't been a college student, most likely. I chuckled at the thought and adjusted my rearview mirror. I caught a brief image, a dark form in the back seat, eyes reflecting headlights. I yelped and jumped in my seat, swerving this time before steadying myself on the road. Then took a deep breath and glanced into the mirror again. The usual clutter of empty cups and receipts. I looked back at the rear view mirror and adjusted it to view the back seat. Nothing. I took another deep breath to calm myself as I adjusted the mirror back to the rear window. Nothing. Nothing. Just my mind still on what brief vivid image of the raccoon. Nothing else. The eyes had just been some headlights. Someone who'd turned off the road soon after. I really needed to clean my car out. Entering down, the sickly yellow glow of street lights was a welcome shift from the darkness of the unlit forest roads. Soon I pulled into my apartment complex and parked, taking a few deep breaths before exiting the car. The glow of my phone's flashlight revealed a smear of blood and viscera with shreds of fur on the car bumper. Damn it, I murmured under my breath. At least there was no dents or cracks, as far as I could tell. Would check further in the morning. The short drive's excitement followed by the adrenaline crash settled in. Still, one more thing before I crashed. Perhaps an image to pair with a filthy statement in the morning how I escaped death or defeated Ranger Rick. I knelt down and took a picture of the bumper, a flash filling the night. A flash of a masked face and glowing eyes mere inches away framed against the bumper. Damn it! I stumbled back, falling onto the pavement, dropping my phone. Fighting back the panic, I scrambled to my feet, grabbed the device, turned the flashlight function back on, swinging it about wildly. Nothing. Nothing at all. It wasn't nearly as dark here with the lights scattered around the apartment complex. If something had been there, I would have seen the shadow of it scamper off. Yet, I could have sworn it had been right there. A raccoon, eyes bright in the flash, or still bright, reflecting oncoming headlights. No, no, no. Where had that damn thought come from? No, I swung my phone around again, checking the other parked cars, trying to spot some moving shadow, some eyes reflecting the light, something to explain what I'd seen. Nothing moved, I held my breath. The whir of an AC unit turning on, a distant siren, faint barking. Normal night sounds, no raccoon staring at me with eyes reflecting headlights. The thought just couldn't leave me now. I'd seen all the raccoon features, both defined and obscured by the bright light, the glisten of the nose, the twitch of the whiskers, frozen in that moment, then gone, followed by that dull thump. I closed my eyes. No, I didn't see that. That was what I'd seen when I hit the raccoon. My mind was just fixated on that. I'd never hit any animal in my car, and this was some strange reaction caused by guilt. I hesitantly opened one eye, almost expecting the raccoon to be there waiting with that raccoon in headlight stare. Nothing, just a quiet apartment complex at 1 a.m. I'm just going to my apartment now, and I'm giving up wine coolers forever. I said, my voice wavering with shaky steps. I walked to my apartment, went inside, locked the door, then went directly to my bedroom. Exhaustion settled as my heart calmed, and I crashed from my second rush of adrenaline for the evening. Pants removed, I slipped under my covers and slept. The digital clock glowed 3.04. I looked at my clock through my bleary vision until the number shifted to 3.05. Why was I looking at my clock at 3.04 a.m. and now 3.05 a.m.? Why wasn't I still asleep? An unexpected sound made me freeze. Slowly, I turned towards my open bedroom door, clutching my covers. There was no steady drone of the air conditioner, only dark and silence, then a sound. No, 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 no. I was staying right here and waiting till morning under the covers. You couldn't get me to investigate that. I had enough scares without investigating stuff. I did not need to know. I needed to turn back over and go to sleep. Or maybe turn back over and look at the clock in terror until the next adrenaline crash put me back to sleep, or until I woke up. I turned back over, and there, a form illuminated in the faint red glow produced by the clock, eyes bright, as if still reflecting headlights, the raccoon sat on my bedside table. I closed my eyes. No, the raccoon was not there. The other times were in my head. the first time at least this was in my head too I was going to open my eyes back up and the raccoon would be gone again or I could just not open my eyes damn I already used that card in not investigating the sound I needed to at least investigate something sitting on my bedside table I opened my eyes the raccoon still sat there damn it I jumped back scrambling out of the covers lunging for the light switch Hoping the light would chase away whatever I was seeing, it did not. The light illuminated the raccoon still sitting on my bedstand, looking like a normal raccoon. Besides the still bright lit eyes and the fact it was a raccoon in my bedroom, I'd think that fuck would be the more common expletive for humans in your situation. I froze. Oh, you can hear me, can't you? No, no. I have had just about enough of this evening. I can handle dealing with a raccoon haunting me, but if you're going to tell me that the raccoon is going to start talking to me, that's where I draw the line. Fine with me. The raccoon jumped down on the floor and trundled its way around the bed, stopping to give me a look before heading down the hallway. I looked at the bed, wondering if sleep would be the best cure for the mental break or whether I should check my phone about whether wine coolers could cause vivid hallucinations in some people depending on weird body chemistry or something curiosity over the strange situation lured me to follow the raccoon down the hall there was a faint glow around the creature in the dark the raccoon's form appearing most almost blurred and flickery at the edges I allowed myself to calm down at least a little I kept waiting for the foaming and the eyes to go red at any moment. In the kitchen, the raccoon wandered to the fallen trash can, the noise that had awoken me. Questions whirled about in my head as I watched the raccoon pick up half a stale bagel. I say pick up because instead of picking it up, the raccoon seemed to pull a ghostly approximation of the bagel with a faint glowy hue and chewed on it. How do you know about fuck, I asked. The raccoon looked over at me. When two raccoons love each other very much. No, 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 that's not what I meant. I don't want to know about raccoon mating habits. Raccoon mating habits are much crasser than that. The raccoon's damn smirk was nearly audible. I meant, why do you know about swears? I mean, why am I hearing you? What the fuck is going on? The raccoon looked away from me as if in thought, it being a raccoon, I didn't really know for sure. Could a raccoon look thoughtful, or did the black mask around the eyes obscure such things? Being dead has been enlightening. If not for the pain of dying and being dead, I might consider this fun. One moment being contained by instincts from point A to point B finding food, avoiding danger, the buzz of information in every single waking moment attempting to live a minute before, the next moment being released from all those pressures, knowledge rushing into the space that instincts clogged up, the universe opening up, deciding to explore that knowledge for a bit longer, or to go into the great whiteness and relax for much longer. Okay. Some of that knowledge included something called Cocktail shrimp, which surrounded amazing, so decided to explore the universe and grabbed onto your thread. Do you have cocktail shrimp? My thread? A thread of guilt, quite shiny, easy to follow. About the cocktail shrimp. I don't have any cocktail shrimp, and more importantly, I can't deal with this being haunted by a ghost raccoon thing. My life is stressful and complicated enough without this on top of everything. You're guilty, so you're stuck with me. And now that I'm here and you see me and heard my tale, you feel even more guilty. What sort of jerk just hits someone with their car and just drives off anyway? So I'm fine with sticking around. Where can this cocktail shrimp be found? The raccoon casually scampered over the fridge and climbed inside by climbing right through the door. I opened the fridge door finding the raccoon snout inside a box of leftover Chinese food he lifted his head maw filled with spectral noodles. how are you doing that food doesn't have a spirit what the heck are you eating I don't know I just haunt here I don't accept any of this now how do I rest your spirit or don't know get rid of that guilt thread or whatever you were talking about cocktail shrimp I knelt down and gave the raccoon a long stare. He continued to eat the spiritual leftovers of lo mein. He could almost be mistaken for a normal raccoon raiding my fridge, beside the fact that he floated. Fridge shelves went through his body, and his eyes continued to have that unsettling, reflecting headlights effect. I realized that the voice had sounded rather gruff, though chittery, masculine in a way. God, why was I considering the gender of a ghost raccoon? Giving him another look... I did confirm he seemed to be male. Finally, the raccoon responded, fine, I'll tell you, if you really want me to go. Good, cocktail shrimp will still be needed, I figured. That's how, an hour later, I found myself following a ghost raccoon along a dark forest road, wearing a backpack with a full cocktail shrimp platter wedged inside, a shovel on my shoulder, and a flashlight in my hand. The forest seemed strangely quiet, perhaps a slight rustling of leaves. I hadn't seen any cars since I exited my own at a pull-off half a mile up the road. Which I took as a good thing. I didn't want anyone to question what the hell I was doing out here. Hell, even if I don't want to question that. Are we there yet? Yes. Where is... Oh. The beam of my flashlight illuminated the gray-black fur of the raccoon's body on the road, half its body smashed against the pavement, blood gleaming in the light. I turned away, taking a deep breath. The crows, or coyotes, haven't come yet. Surprising. Why am I here? You're a damn raccoon. You're just messing with me, aren't you? You don't need me to do this. I looked back to him. The ghost raccoon trotted over next to his own carcass and looked over with those headlight-lit eyes. Fine. I took the shovel, a flimsy plastic snow shovel thing, and tried not to think about it too much. Pushed it under the roadkill. I needed to scrape to properly get it all off the pavement. I wanted to throw up. The ghost version of the raccoon gave a quick nod, then headed into the forest. Holding the way to the raccoon's body with the shovel, I couldn't take the flashlight back out. Having to tread slowly through the underbrush, Following under the lightly glowing form of the raccoon, and depending on the moon and the hints of almost morning on the horizon for light, I decided I'd seek therapy in the morning, even if the raccoon stopped haunting me. The extent of a hallucination required a follow-up. I entered a clearing. The raccoon sat at the base of a massive oak tree, turned away, looking upwards. Set my body down here, he gestured with a paw. To the base of the tree, at the middle of the clearing, place the tray of cocktail shrimp here. I awkwardly dropped the raccoon's body next to the tree, huffing. If you don't mind me saying, you're a heavy bugger. Was. I don't mind. Pickings here were good. Only had to wander into town on occasion. Like the alley behind Tony's Pizza in particular, stale breadsticks are nice. Silence settled in. I shuffled on my feet. I looked back to where we came. Is this all? Are we all good now? Really sorry about this. I really didn't mean to. No need to be sorry. These things happen. Knowledge is nice. I'm sorry. Oh, no need to be sorry. You were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. No damage to the car even. Now, can you just rest and whatever? No, not sorry about that sorry about this the raccoon turned on me with that headlight lit gaze and jumped straight onto my chest a sudden rush of cold shot through me I gasped and grasped at my chest my vision blurred before going completely white I came to on the ground finding myself looking into the unsettling milky eyes of the dead raccoon I jumped back rolling across the leaves nothing felt right Sorry, that must be unsettling. That voice. Why did that voice sound familiar? Familiar and yet unfamiliar at the same time. Something about it raised my hackles. Hackles? Who the heck thinks about raising their hackles? I felt too warm and too cold and too itchy. I scratched at my ear with my foot. That felt better. Satisfying. The night of the forest seemed brighter than before. The details clearer, but... Everything also seemed bigger, more looming, dangerous. A man stood near me, messy brown hair, wearing jeans, baggy sweatshirt, and a sly grin. No, no, no. I opened my mouth to voice this. A strange sound came out. I tried again. Another strange sound, similar to the first. What? What's going on? You were right. I didn't need you to do this. The rest, at least. I could have headed to that great crawfish boil in the sky any time I wanted. Would have been much easier, much more relaxing. But that thread of guilt caught my attention, that shiny to be pursued. I stared as my own body knelt in front of me, continuing to give that strange, sly raccoon grin with my face. I looked down at myself, the strange raccoon hand-like paws, the raccoon hide, the raccoon limbs realizing in horror that they were all currently my features, right down to the ringtail twitching behind me. By the time I looked back up, the man, my body, had started trotting through the trees. I attempted to call after, making another chittering sound before I managed to call with my mind instead. You can't do this. Not looking back, he responded. I already did, dude. Thanks. The sympathy gave a wonderful opening. And I'm taking the cocktail shrimp with me. Hope that's fine. I attempted to follow, first on two legs, which led me to fall on my face, then on four limbs, which required some thought, or rather lack of thought. I found I needed to focus on going forward rather than thinking about how to deal with four limb movement. I heard his voice, my voice, calling back faintly Don't lose your tail, I'll be back in a few days. Maybe a week. Just one to get the proper experience, you know, if I don't get distracted or anything. No, he couldn't leave me like this. I couldn't be a raccoon. He couldn't be taking my body. When I got to the therapist about this, they'd be so damn happy for such a puzzle that my mind presented. I scampered through the underbrush, momentarily confused how it didn't react, but in too much of a panic to care. I kept going until I made it to the pavement, rising on my haunches, looking for him, not certain what I would do when I caught him. I needed to reverse this. I needed to. The pavement rumbled under my paws. Around the corner, two bright lights rushed at me through the dark. I stared, stunned and confused, but completely frozen in place until a bumper filled my world. Then went through my head, which didn't harm me, being a ghost raccoon and all. It did, however, completely terrify me, leaving me wondering how certain bodily functions still worked in a ghost raccoon form just before I slumped, fainted, on the pavement. I liked the part with the cocktail shrimp. There should have been more with the cocktail shrimp in your story. I rubbed my snout. This isn't a story. I'm literally telling you what happened last night. Do you have any advice on how to fix this? I gestured down to my raccoon self. The spectral otter stared at me blankly for a beat. Yes, more cocktail shrimp. Maybe some fish? Would make the story much better. He gave a definitive nod. I groaned. I can see that telling you my plight was completely pointless. I'm apparently doomed to haunt these forests and possibly the dumpsters behind the ranger station forever. I can't even go back to the town since I seem to start getting even more see-through-y the further I get from where this whole thing started. Maybe I could possess that ranger fellow, and then, well, wouldn't want to do that unless he was a jerk to nature or something. Maybe I can find a sleazy land developer who's going to destroy the forest. And I stopped staring at the ghostly web paw on my shoulder. Did raccoons have shoulders? Perhaps not. In any case, the web paw on my forearm. I looked to the otter's glowy maw, giving something like a smile. He gave my arm a pat. Would you like some fish? He nodded to a pile of ghost fish flopping about next to the stream. I took a moment to consider whether I should continue my existential panic paired with convoluted plots to get my life back or to enjoy eating some ghost fish. This had been more or less the same result as when I told the ghost badger in that burrow down the stream by my tail and he offered some ghostly grubs afterwards. My stomach growled. Thanks. Fish would be good for now.
1: That's really a bummer when you get stuck somewhere you don't want to be, isn't it? Oh, don't worry. Your stay here is not quite like those in the story. It's just us here. And the last story I have to share with you before you know. Have to give Richter credit for sharing this story before succumbing to the realm like the others.
3: Halloween has always been one of Rue's favorite times of year. The candy, the costumes, the crunchy orange leaves on the ground. But above all else, Rue loved cookies. And fall was a great time to bake cookies. Pumpkin chocolate chip, caramel apple, as well as classic flavors of snickerdoodles and oatmeal raisins were regular aroma of Rue's house this time of year Halloween night itself found Rue at home baking cookies. He was trying to perfect his new recipe of marzipan hazelnut sugar cookies. When there was a knock at the door, Rue carefully placed the hot sheet of cookies on the stovetop before running to answer the door. A bowl of candy ready to hand out to eager trick-or-treaters. But when Rue opened the door, there was no one there. Rue leaned further out the door, trying to make out where this mysterious knocker had gone. But no one was to be seen. Dang kids muttered Rue himself. As he shut the door again, Why would you doorbell ditch on Halloween? He wondered to himself. I guess they wanted a trick more than they wanted treats. Rue's thoughts quickly turned away from this, however, as the smell of freshly baked cookies lured him back to the kitchen. They should be cool enough to taste by now. His mouth watered in anticipation, but unfortunately, when he re-entered the kitchen, the cookie sheet was empty, except for a few measly crumbs. Rue cried out in horror and fell to his knees. Who would do such a thing? He wailed. This was an especially great tragedy because Rue had just run out of flour, so he couldn't even make more. Another knock could be heard on the front door before Rue could even react. All the lights of the house flickered out. Knocked again. Sonny insisted. Slowly, he got to his feet and crept to the front door. The third knock. He finally, steeled himself, and opened the door. Standing there, fuzzing blue, was a familiar-looking monster. Cookie Monster. Ruse said, smiling in relief. But Cookie Monster did not smile back. Me is <clears throat> filing lawsuit against you, Mister Rucci Lexico. Cookies is my thing first, he handed Rue a sheaf of legal paper. C is for decease cease and desist. He turned and started walking away. Rue just stood there, stunned that this is how he would meet his childhood hero. As the lights in the house flickered back on, Cookie Monster turned back one last time. By the way, he said, your cookie needs more vanilla. ha ha ha!
1: Like I would ever run out of cookies and get lost in my own mind and out of reality. (laughs) But, but you are here with me now, and I hope that you enjoyed all the stories. So many wonderful people that visited the void, and all are part of it. Just like you will be, too. Just sit back. Relax. Let the endless time and space take you into the madness. Before you are totally gone, do you have a story to share too? Thank you for listening to this special episode of For What It's Worth and to all those that contributed stories to make it happen. We all thank you so much. And if you'd like to hear more, Enjoy other episodes, and for what it's worth, would like to welcome you to a new season of the show.